there is a, a disinformation program literally for everyone, no matter who you are and what, what your interests are, uh, what your beliefs are, uh, which, which way you're focusing. There is a website set up just for you to take you in and to vector your thinking and your attention into the way that they want you to think. You are listening to Radio Free Signs of the Times, broadcasting into the heart of an occupied America. Welcome to the Signs of the Times podcast. This week we're celebrating our first year of podcasts. Woohoo! I'm Henry. I'm Joe. And I'm Scott. A year ago, we started off our podcast discussing the London bombings. This week, we'd like to take a look at the year in review, if you will, and see just how much worse off we are this year than we were last year. A lot, actually. A lot. It's getting so bad that from year to year, you hardly think it can get worse, and every year, the universe proves us wrong. Although for billions of people out there... Nothing's changed. They remain oblivious to uh, to, to anything, really. Um, we see this just this week with the 4th of July celebrations in the United States. Everyone going off for firecrackers and fireworks and waving the flag. How anyone can wave the American flag these days without feeling sick to their stomach is beyond me. Well, I know why they can do it. Tell because me, they, Joe. Tell well, me. Explain it to well, me. Because they have no idea whatsoever about uh, about what's going on. But, you know, that's not surprising because of, as we've mentioned many times in the past, because of the control that the mainstream media uh, or that the government exerts over uh, reality and what people understand as reality and what's going on in the world. And uh, we know they do that we have by a the mainstream government press. that thinks they can create reality on the ground. Yeah, they've said it. They've said it. They've come out and, and stated that they are the creators of reality. And they're right. Um, and if it wasn't for us and others like us, we'd all be a lot closer to Armageddon. Probably. No, we're not making any difference. We're just having fun. <laughs> Even though everything we've been saying on the science page for oh, the past several years is pretty much coming true. and Never mind that. You just don't worry about all There's that. There's nothing to see here, folks. Move along, move along. Step away from the police line. There's nothing to see. I mean, when Laura started the science page, she was talking about George Bush and all these, you know, the fascist measures that would come down and all this, you know, horrible stuff that would happen. And, of course, it happened. And, and now George Bush is, is in, in a bit of hot water and seems to be losing his grip. Well, it's interesting. I mean, you know, is George losing his grip or not? Uh, did George ever have a grip? Did, ever, yeah. did he ever have a grip? On anything. Every once in a while, you'll get a press report that, George Bush has been spying on Americans or George Bush. They never come out and use the word lying, but that's what it amounts to. And it's curious as to exactly why these reports come out. It seems to be more a way of keeping pressure on George to keep him on track rather than any kind of an exposure that's going to be bringing him down. Wouldn't you say, Joe? Probably. It's a, it's a good theory. I like it. But we'll get into that later on. What we want to do, as Henry mentioned, is to just go through uh, some of the major events that have happened uh, over the past year. Uh, it seems like it's a, a good opportunity to do it, given that it's our one-year sh- anniversary show. 
We started, as Henry mentioned, with the London bombings on July 7th, 2005, and uh, today is July 6th, 2006. And interesting, interestingly enough, in the news today, Osama bin Laden, who has been in the news quite a lot, him and his uh, sidekicks, his several sidekicks have been in the news quite a lot over the past year, um, and he has released a new video today, although he doesn't appear in it, um, but it's a video of one of the alleged London bombers from last year, who was allegedly on, on one of the trains and uh, blew himself and uh, 50-some other people up, uh, well, him and his friends uh, allegedly um, carried out this terror attack. So the video today is to has been released uh, apparently by um, Osama bin Laden, or allegedly by Osama bin Laden, to just to remind us all that it really was Osama bin Laden who, who orchestrated these attacks. It's really curious that the Osama videos have really picked up since the death, supposedly, of Zarqawi in Iraq. It's as if once they buried Zarqawi, they needed to pull out Osama from under the bed and start shaking him in front of us again to remind us that there was still an evil mastermind of at loose in the world. That's what it's all about. It's at the same time as the CIA announces that they've closed their division that was keeping track and hunting for him. Well, Exactly, yeah, it's all fun and games, you know, literally, it's all, yeah. if you look at it in any depth at all, it's all um, very dodgy, very uh, suspicious, uh, none of it makes any sense, and that's why we mentioned uh, that the mainstream media and the government, uh, through the mainstream media, has to maintain such a tight control on it, because none of it really makes any sense. It's as if they're seeing how far they can push the lie, as if there's some value to them just in being able to get away with bigger and bigger and bigger whoppers. Yeah, I mean... They How seem much can people swallow before they're going to start gagging? Yeah, they seem to be very uh, very much convinced that they can say and do whatever they want and no one will uh, bat an eyelid or no one will really figure it out. Um, for example, I mean, you mentioned uh, Al-Zakari who, who died, in, in quotes, um, or was killed by the U.S. military uh, last month in, in Iraq. He dropped two 500-pound bombs on a house that he was in, and the house obviously was completely obliterated, but he uh, apparently survived just with a couple of As did his cell his phone <laughs> and his, yeah. com- his portable computer. Yeah, it all survived, um, these two 500-pound bombs. So once they had killed him, killed him off, like, a, like someone who was... Uh, doing a bad job of acting their part on the, on the stage. They pulled him off and uh, they've tried to um, uh, introduce a new a new guy, his successor, his name being Abu Hamza al-Muharji, or Muhajir, sorry. Um, and that was not long after, they just last month when they killed uh, al-Zakari, they introduced this new guy as his successor of al-Qaeda in Iraq. But news today, actually, from Egypt, tells us that he is actually in an Egyptian prison, and has been in an Egyptian prison for, for quite some time. So well, this just tells us how, how clever al-Qaeda really is, that he can be masterminding the resistance in Iraq from his Egyptian cell. Yeah, yep. just like Osama can you know be the, the al-Qaeda mastermind from a cave in Pakistan. Yeah, on the, on the Afghan-Pakistan border, and that mountainous region that, is, that we've mentioned in the past, is, past is, is, is the best place to go if you ever want to run away from the law. I mean, if you're in trouble and you need somewhere to lie low and you do not want to get caught, say you've done something really bad, which we don't recommend you do, but if you, if you find yourself in that position, take our advice. 
go to the mountainous region of the Afghan-Pakistan border because there is no way that anybody on the face of this earth, even the greatest military and uh, intelligence agencies of the world combined, will not be able to find you ever. Take it from us. That's where we're going to go. Even if you're dragging around a dialysis machine. Yes. It's very suitable. That mountainous region is very suitable for uh, it, it's dialysis machine uh, friendly. You just put the dialysis machine on your, you know, your, your mountain goat or something. Yep. And, and from there you orchestrate a, a global war against, or against uh, the infidel, uh, a global war of terrorism. That's, that's how it's done, yep. folks. You were telling me earlier about this report, uh, the Al-Qaeda video, that they were now the British authorities were using the uh, sortie of this new video as proof that al-Qaeda was deeply involved in the London bombings of a year ago. If they don't have anything better than that, they're really in trouble as yeah. proof. Yeah, I mean, especially since, um, since, since they've had a lot of problems with their official story of, of those bombings, uh, and we'll just kind of maybe recount those a little bit. Uh, th- those official details that uh, four young guys in their late teens, early 20s, born and bred in the UK, four Muslim guys, decided that they would, uh, you know, attack the London Underground with uh, allegedly with their rucksacks and bombs. Um, they, they got on the trains and they detonated their bombs on, on, on three trains and, and on a bus, actually, and killed 54 people, I think it was. Um, this is last year. And um, that's the official story. The, the 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 unofficial or sorry the official details that have been uh, have not been officially accepted pose some problems for that for that theory. Small first, problems. First of all, being that the alleged trains that three the three guys uh, who were who were on the underground the trains they took to get to the underground station where they where they boarded the trains the the train that is specified as them having them having taken did not get them to their destination, to the underground in time to actually board the train. They were they were about uh, eight or nine minutes, arrived eight or nine minutes late for the train that actually departed. So it seems that it's physically impossible for those guys to actually have been on the trains that they allegedly uh, blew up. Other details... If the head of Al-Qaeda in Iraq can be running the resistance from an Egyptian cell... Yeah, I mean, anything's hey. possible in fantasy land, but... Uh, other problems being that um, one of the uh, a number of people who were on the trains who survived uh, stated that they did not see anyone uh, standing in the area where the bombs uh, or where the explosion occurred on that part of the train. They didn't see anyone standing there or anyone with a rucksack or even a rucksack on the ground. Uh, one guy, as reported in the Cambridge Evening News, who was uh, who survived, who was standing quite near to the explosion. Uh, is on record, and you can see this on the web, on, on, the, on the Cambridge Evening, Evening News' uh, website. He stated that as he kind of came to and was being escorted off the train by a paramedic, the paramedic cautioned him to be careful of the hole in the ground as he was getting off to not fall into it, and he, um, he specified that was obviously the hole uh, where, the, where the bomb had detonated, and this the, the survivor, uh, as he was being taken off, looked down at this hole that he was being... Uh, it was being brought to his attention, and he noticed that the the metal on the floor of the train was 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 turned in the ways, and he was quite uh, clear about that that the metal was blown in the ways, so the the metal shards were, the metal pieces were turned up, which I don't know. You someone tell me how a bomb on the floor of a train can uh, make the metal bend in the ways, 
uh, as opposed to it was out a, the ways. It was a suction bomb. Okay, a suction bomb. Okay. It, again, if we're in fantasy <laughs> land again. I keep forgetting that we're in fantasy land and anything is possible. Um, it was a tiny black hole that just sucked everything around right yeah. into it. And, you know, in the aftermath of the London bombings, you had um, the MI5, the Internal uh, Intelligence Agency within within the UK, stated uh, as part of the investigation um, as to how the bombings could have happened. They uh, stated that they had uh, were understaffed, undermanned in terms of uh, being able to keep an eye on such terror cells. So this is why they didn't uh, stop the attacks from happening. And then a few weeks later, uh, it came out again in an official report that, uh, contrary to that uh, claim, they had indeed been uh, trailing these four guys for several months beforehand. They knew exactly who they were. Uh, they were watching their movements, and uh, it was left at that. That's, uh, again, why it, they weren't able to uh, stop them or weren't able to notice that they were planning these attacks. No one no one cares to uh, to, to explain to us. And then there are the Israeli connections to the London bombing. We know that Netanyahu was in London that morning, and he was warned to not go to the meeting he was scheduled to mm-hmm. have. That was a report though, where it was uh, he stated that he he had been told that there was a it was bombing and that he had cancelled his meetings. And then afterwards, he he retracted that and denied that that was the case, that he had any knowledge or any foreknowledge. So that's, that's as easy as that, you know. You, you, you come out and you, you make a mistake and you indict yourself and you get yourself in trouble and then you just turn around and, and, and deny it and everything's fine. And, of course, Netanyahu is the same man who was interviewed on the morning of 9-11 talking about what a great thing 9-11 was before yeah. he quickly uh, well, he, caught himself and, and said, oh, no, well, it's a tragedy, but now... It was very good for... Uh, he said that the, the, the 9-11 attacks were very good. Um, uh, very good for Israel. And, and he said, no, well, it's a tragedy, but I mean, it, it's definitely look, definitely going to generate a lot of support, immediate support for Israel. And this brings us into the next area we wanted to look at, which is the genocide that's going on as we speak in Gaza, which is... Yes, a year ago, we um, in July, we were... We were at the stage where we were the world was being prepared or, or Israeli the Israeli settlers in Gaza were being prepared to be evacuated or to be removed from the Gaza Strip. There was about eight or nine thousand of them in all and they were taking I think they were occupying forty percent of the of the land of in the Gaza Strip for their uh, settlements. This is nine thousand people had they taken were all up, being paid what, four hundred thousand dollars apiece to That's when to they were removed no two hundred thousand I think they were given each uh, to, to, to relocate back to Israel. But these were settlers within the Gaza Strip, which is uh, Palestinian land. That is illegal settlers yeah. against all international law. Yeah. Uh, sitting on occupied in occupied territory, occupied Palestinian territory, uh, being enforced by the, and obviously the Israeli military was 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 completely occupying uh, the Gaza Strip as well to to keep these people safe. And as I said, forty percent of the land was being uh, used for these nine thousand people, while about one point three million Palestinians were in the other sixty percent of the land. Uh, that's Israeli justice for you. So these in July last year, when we did our first podcast, this was in the news a lot about the, the planned um, and how peace was just around the corner. Yeah, the planned uh, evacuation, the planned uh, removal of the settlers, 
And um, it was interesting because at the time there was a lot of uh, sto- there were a lot of stories about uh, right wing, um, really fundamentalist or uh, Jewish groups who were who were throwing death threats at Sharon for for his plan because it was Sharon's plan to oh. to remove the settlements from Gaza, and, and he's being portrayed as being well, a great centrist at that point. Yeah, certainly that was that was done as a way to kind of. Um, to make it seem like this was uh, was a Israel real sacrifice. Was really making concessions. Yeah, big yeah. sacrifice, you know, and that he, uh, Sharon was taking a lot of flack for it, you know, and that was very likely just orchestrated to, to create that impression. And we were treated to endless pictures and stories and video of, of, the, of the settlers crying and, and being torn away, torn away from their homes. Uh, and no mention, really, which of they the were fact then going to go in and completely destroy because they couldn't imagine leaving a good Jewish home for an Arab. Yeah, but uh, that was that was the that was the situation, and we were treated to these endless kind of images, uh, very heart wrenching images, and poor Israeli soldiers, you know, having a hard time, you know, fulfilling their duty. Um, but as Henry mentioned, uh, they destroyed all the houses afterwards, and they also the the people who who the settlers uh, poisoned the land uh, to ensure that, uh, as they themselves said, no Palestinian would be able to use the land after them. So again, this is just an idea of the kind of attitudes. And as this was going on, Gaza. there were observers who were saying that this was not a move towards peace; that all Israel wanted to do was clear out as many of the illegal settlers as possible, so that there military would have greater room to maneuver. And this is certainly what we've been seeing. It's obvious that the current attacks on Gaza, the excuse for it was the kidnapping of an Israeli soldier, but the plans for it had been made up months and months and months yeah, ago. Yeah, this is the, 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 cur- the, 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 the current um, invasion, yeah. current uh, incursion into Gaza, which is... Yeah, so last year you had the removal of the settlers and this being seen as, you know, a, mo- a peaceful move and a concession by the Israeli government to the Palestinians and that they had to respond in kind, when in reality it was just giving them back land that they were fully entitled to and removing illegal settlers from, from the Gaza Strip. And so while they were they doing w- it, they were preparing the plans for the invasion that they're carrying out right now and the destruction of the Palestinian yeah. infrastructure. Yeah, so if we jump forward then to today from that, uh, as Henry's mentioning, um, you know, I'm sure everybody's aware of the fact that you have uh, that that uh, of what's going on at the minute. Today, 12 Palestinians were killed uh, as Israeli tanks moved into Gaza to uh, allegedly to try to um, to free the Israeli soldier that was killed. What did they say? They say they want to make a buffer in the north of Gaza. Yeah, this is where supposedly where the, the rockets, the Palestinians are firing rockets from. But the, the whole operation is being presented as being an operation to free Gilad Shalit, I think his name is, the Israeli soldier. He's 19 years old, I think, um, who was kidnapped, abducted uh, about a week and a half ago now when uh, Hamas, members of Hamas or other Palestinian resistance groups, uh, dug a tunnel under the southern uh, Gaza border with Israel and uh, attacked us uh, an outlook, uh, a lookout post, an Israeli lookout post, and they they killed two Israeli soldiers and kidnapped this one soldier and captured. Uh, c- yeah, captured him. Okay, and um, took him back and then demanded that some Palestinian uh, prisoners, mainly actually, they wanted they wanted women, the women and, and the children to be released. Yes, a thousand out of the ten thousand being held. Yes, in exchange, and Israel refused. But what wasn't 
and and Condi Rice today is like is she saying that uh, this this crisis at the minute in Gaza between Israel and Palestine um, that the, that the source of it is is Hamas Hamas is 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 the, is the problem here but what no one seems to have been saying and it's not really in any of the mainstream news uh, reports is that one day. As, well, as Henry mentioned, the, plan, the, the operation was planned uh, several months in advance, and um, not only was it planned, but they all, there's also uh, in a Haaretz uh, news article uh, from last week, it was reported that the Israeli intelligence and Israeli military intelligence knew that an attack of the nature of which we just described on the, on the outpost and uh, on the outlook post and, the, and the, the capture of the Israeli soldiers, this was planned. They, they had intelligence information that, that uh, Hamas or the Palestinian resistance were going to do this, and they they just apparently allowed it, allowed it, it to happen. Uh, but the day before that happened, uh, to, uh, an Israeli um, intelligence operative uh, infiltrated Gaza and uh, captured or abducted two Hamas, two members of the Hamas government. And this was the the first um, kind of strike that caused Hamas and the resistance then to the next day to, to launch this attack. That's not reported in the mainstream press for what it is, which is the source of the current uh, um, incursion. And there was also the killing of the Palestinian family on the beach in Gaza that had happened 10 days or yes. so before. Well, during that period, I think it was 23 or something, the Palestinian civilians had been killed and also not really mentioned by the mainstream press is that Hamas had been adhering to a unilateral uh, one-sided ceasefire for 18 months or 16 months before that, where they had not launched any attacks while Israel was continuing to launch attacks in Gaza, in the West Bank, against Palestinians, killing Palestinian civilians, and Hamas had not responded. But, of course, that information never appears in the mainstream media. And the Palestinians are portrayed as savage beasts, brutal killers, cold-blooded murderers, when in fact it's Israel that fills that role. And we should probably point out again that uh, on several occasions on the science page, we've illustrated that Hamas is is actually a a front or it was essentially created by the Israeli Mossad. And when you look at the what what uh, has allegedly been requested by uh, the the Palestinians that that they will release Shalit in exchange for thousands of Palestinians. Well, if it is actually the Palestinians who have have made this request, then it's actually rather clever, because it, it seems that uh, you know historically when something is done to even one Israeli, the response from Israel is basically death and destruction of, of Palestinian collective punishment of the entire Palestinian people. Yeah. Again, illegal under international law, and so they're they're the 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 Palestinians then are allegedly saying, well, you know, okay, so we have one of your people, so now you know, release you know thousands of ours. Yeah. So basically, what you're saying is that you know what has been stated by many Israeli uh, politicians that the life of one Israeli is worth you know the entire pa- Palestinian people. Well, or certainly, you know, hundreds or thousands or many, many lives of Palestinians. I mean, just before, or I think just after this, uh, this, this, this crisis began uh, well, about a week and a half, two weeks ago, the Israeli Prime Minister uh, Ehud Olmert stated as much. He came out and stated that uh, the lives of Israelis were more important than the, than the life of uh, our lives of, of Palestinians. And this is certainly the way Israel acts 
and the way they have been acting all through their history. I mean, it's clearly evident in recent events because you have, I mean, they, they go in and they knock out the electricity. So, of course, there's, you know, there's no air conditioning. They knock out uh, water lines, which means, you know, I mean, there, there have been reports that there there could be a, uh, diseases and, you know, massive epidemics. And, of course, Israel claims that they're sending in trucks with supplies, and we don't know if that's true or not. But obviously, if if, uh, if, if the Palestinians, uh, you know, capture one Israeli soldier and the response is to go in and un- unleash this wholly disproportionate uh, military response and... It's a to, war of terror on the Palestinian people. Yeah. You know, how many countries around the world have actually expressed outrage at this? I mean, I think it was... Switzerland. Uh, Switzerland. I think Switzerland is Today, probably yeah. the only one. In terms of the, the global population, or the, the global political kind of population, there's very few who have the, seem to have the moral courage or fiber to uh, to really just stand up and, uh, and and speak out against such brutality. And it 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 just it brings up that age-old question of of why you know of of why uh, why there seems to be so much uh, fear. Or reluctance among among you know governments around the world to 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 stand up and speak out against this. Why they cannot criticize Israel? Uh, we probably don't want to get into that right now, but uh, it, it's certainly a, a problem, and it's also a problem with, within the mainstream press. Uh, where how it is possible that uh, really reality in terms of what's going on in Israel and Palestine can be turned on its head, and Israel can be pitched to the world by the mainstream press as a victim when it is so screamingly obvious that the Palestinians are being victimized. And I just, you know, it's... it's, it's They're it's being killed off again. one by one by ten by a dozen here. Yeah. But it seems it seems that uh, um, given past remarks uh, made by Sharon and other people like him, uh, the policy being employed at the minute... Uh, in terms of uh, this this aggression and murder of Palestinian arbitrary murder of Palestinian civilians is to essentially force them to flee, mm-hmm. to leave the Gaza Strip, to leave the West Bank, to leave exactly. their own land, uh, are under threat of death. Uh, it's, it's forced uh, ethnic cleansing, but not in a you know it's it's, mm-hmm. it's um, how do you describe it? I don't know. It's not it's not forced ethnic cleansing in terms of they're 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 taking going in and shipping them off in, in trucks, but they're it's putting the screws to them to so such that an extent that they'll leave. If themselves. they don't leave, they're going to die. Yeah. So it's, it comes down to the same thing, and it's only going to get worse. Yep. And definitely, and, and it's I mean, not going to stop. But the whole thing, in terms of this recent uh, this was crisis that's going on at the minute, it seems that um, it's got nothing to do with the with the with saving this one Israeli soldier that was captured, because first of all, it's completely disproportionate to one Israeli soldier, and uh, given that also that uh, there are ten thousand Palestinians who have been uh, are imprisoned uh, by, by Israel, and it refuses to to even swap one Palestinian for this one soldier, thereby saving his life. They don't want to do that; they just want to bomb. And uh, you know, make a martyr out of him. Yeah, obviously. So it's not to do with uh, recapturing him or saving him, but rather escalating the conflict. And on the day that, uh, the day after he was captured, uh, not only did Israel kind of um, begin this offensive against the Gaza Strip, but they flew F sixteen jets over the uh, house, the residence of the Syrian President President Assad. Mm. Um, and that was obviously a very belligerent, very uh, threatening act. Uh, and they claimed that, you know, that uh, the reason they did this was because the Syrian government was harboring 
one of the Hamas, one of the top top guys in Hamas, and they claim that he was behind this attack. But that they can't have it both ways. Then it, either it's being it's being uh, orchestrated by this guy in Syria, or it's being orchestrated by uh, Hamas in the Gaza Strip. So you got to pick pick which one it is. It can't be both. But they are threatening both Syria and people in the Gaza Strip. So you know. It's obviously that's just more evidence. That's got nothing to do with. Uh, there's just a lot of lies and duplicity there. It's, it's got nothing to do with uh, saving this guy. It's about escalating the conflict and trying to find a final solution or implement a final solution to their Palestinian problem, which is that Palestinians, albeit on their own land, they are on. In terms of uh, the Israeli government and its view, and people like Olmert and and Sharon, who is now, uh, I don't know where he is. He's lying somewhere. Um, he, uh, their policy is to. Is is that the Palestinian land is not Palestinian land? It is, and always has been for two thousand years, Israeli land, and it is owned uh, by the Israelis and the Palestinians. Far from uh, having their land occupied by Israelis, it's the Palestinians who are occupying traditional biblical Israeli land. Now, this is a kind of, and we know that the Bible is a pack of fairy tales stitched together to give a history to a disparate people that didn't have a common history. It's all entirely made up, basically. It's all one giant, and whether people believe this or not, it's one giant lie, and you wouldn't believe the amount of lies. The lies are everywhere. All of it. We can almost say that all of it. All of it is a lie. Well, and the, the, the whole you know, pointing Israel pointing the finger at Syria thing is, is uh, quite worrisome because uh, it was a few weeks ago when Iran and Syria came out and announced that they had a, a sort of mutual defense agreement. And, of course, now we have Israel pointing the finger at Syria. We have the U.S., you know, gunning for Iran. And, you know, we have, you know, this, this new, you know, quote-unquote uh, sort of miniature axis of evil, you know, between Iran and Syria. So, you know, I mean, we can all see where this is going. And furthermore, uh, given all the lies that have been, you know, in, in, in the Bible and, and everything about, uh, you know, the, the, the Jewish homeland and, and this sort of thing, you know, we've been accused of, of being anti-Semitic uh, quite a bit. And, and the thing is that we can see where this is all going. And it appears that eventually, you know, there's this, this whole, uh, you know, anti-Muslim or anti-Arab thing occurring. And, and, of course, the situation in the Middle East is going to escalate. And I mean, Israel is a, is a nation of about seven million uh, people, and I mean, you know, I mean, what do you think is going to happen? I mean, obviously, at at, at some point, uh, there's probably going to be massive destruction in the Middle East, and that means that most of Israel is going to be destroyed. And also on J- uh, July sixth, we had a story about how f- uh, from North America and France, especially the uh, the rate of um, uh, emigration to Israel from these countries, uh, or uh, uh, you know, all these people are are are, you know, are moving to Israel because it's it's the Jewish homeland, and I mean it 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 really stinks because it I mean it reeks of of a big setup, and and so you know in in talking about the whole Israel versus Palestine thing, I mean you know the Zionists are in control of Israel, and they are basically it seems going to run Israel into the ground, and it's going to result in most likely the destruction of Israel and probably a lot of Jews. So the point is not to point the finger at the Jews and, and say how evil they are, the point is to not only save Arab lives, but Jewish lives. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned that we've been uh, we've been accused of an, being anti-Semitic, but obviously we're not anti-Semitic because we, uh, as Scott just mentioned, we are, our main priority, our main uh, concern here is for Arabs 
in, and Palestinians and Arabs in the, Mid- in the Middle East and obviously Jews that live there as well because when there's a war, which there surely must be, a major war there, um, I mean, bombs don't discriminate, you know, and when there's a major conflagration. Um, and it is entirely reckless and uh, inhuman of the Israeli government to engage in this kind of bellicose uh, warmongering and, uh, uh, you know, upping of the ante uh, against uh, the Palestinians and, and, and obviously America and, and Iraq as well, uh, because they are threatening the lives of the people that they claim to 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 be protecting or to be uh, to be interested in in in, in it doesn't make any sense. Like the idea else. that Israel is a safe homeland for the Jewish people is certainly absurd. And if you want to understand more of the dynamics of how this has been set up and what a long process it has been, we are currently putting the finishing touches on a revised second edition of our book, Nine Eleven: The Ultimate Truth, where we go into great detail of how this current manipulation was set up. Yeah, so that's about the long and short of that. The, the the current situation in Israel and Palestine, it's really is sitting on the on the brink of 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 what seems to be a long a long held plan. Um, and speaking of sitting on the brink, we have Iraq just around the corner, which is on the brink of civil war, which is another of the agenda uh, of the Israelis. They have been broadcasting this now for over 20 years that what they want to do is split Iraq up into three smaller regions and they're coming very very close to achieving this goal of course that's with the help of the of the neocons and of of the of the American government who is obviously spearheading that that plan but certainly as Henry mentioned there that it has been a plan uh, for many years and it's uh, it's in the, it's in the literature it's in the me- it's in the minutes of uh, meetings of uh, of the Council on Foreign Relations where they just detailed this, uh, this idea of splitting Iraq up into three uh, small statelets along um, ethnic lines or, or sorry along religious lines Sunni and Shia and uh, Kurds in the north um obviously no such real divisions uh, exist uh, in terms of them being uh, um, severe enough to 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 warrant the splitting up of of Iraq um Iraqis whether they're Kurd um Shia or Sunni uh, see themselves as Iraqi particularly when confronted with an invading uh, foreign power like America there's nothing like uh, an an invading uh, external military to rally a people in a country round together and to make them fully aware of the fact that they're all one people mm-hmm. in the face of, of this uh, this, this um, invading force. So uh, all that the whole uh, civil war in Iraq claim is entirely unfounded, although America and its death squads, its counterinsurgency tactics within, uh, within the military um, intelligence apparatus are trying very hard to create the appearance of uh, of of a, of a civil war in Iraq, but it seems that at the minute, anyway, the Iraqis and the Iraqi resistance are well aware of what they're trying to do. And uh, in fact, just today, the uh, it was it was announced that uh, a, Shi- a Shia um, resistance group had had announced that they were uh, going to join the fight essentially against the uh, Ira- against the invading uh, American military. 
which they had been holding off to assess the situation to see uh, if, if the Iraqi government was was going anywhere or whether it was it was going to be a a just Iraqi administration, and they've finally decided that obviously it's not. And they're also they've stated that they're well aware of the fact that the American uh, military uh, and these death squads that it runs out of the Iraqi Interior Ministry uh, to to indiscriminately kill Iraqi civilians that they're well aware of this and uh, they're not going to they're not taking the bait so time will tell how things unfold in iraq but what's obvious is that the americans are not going anywhere they've built a 100 acre uh, embassy in baghdad and who knows what they're building there and they've got various other uh, large military bases all around iraq and they're obviously not leaving for a long the most optimistic figures that i've seen on american troop productions give figures of there being a permanent force in Iraq of at least 50,000. The other problem is that, uh, I mean, even Blair is announcing that, you know, he's going to begin withdrawing troops and and various other countries in the so-called coalition of the willing are withdrawing, which means that the only people left are are going to be, you know, the American soldiers. Mm -hmm. So there's, you know, there's no more coalition. There's no more, I mean, it's a big mess and, and... yeah, America is going to be left to deal with it, basically. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the Italian soldiers have gone. Um, the Japanese uh, contingent have mm-hmm. are, are are leaving at the minute, or have left. Mm-hmm. And I think the Romanians, who, who had maybe I think they only had about six hundred soldiers there, but uh, the Romanians have announced that they're leaving. And this apparently came as a shock to the U.S. administration. They didn't realize that the Romanians were going to up and leave, but uh, not that they probably were very significant with 600 soldiers, but... Uh, it's the symbolism. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the symbolism. They can no longer claim a, a coalition. It's basically, well, it's, it's, it's American and British troops. But again, if we look back to, say, the spring of 2005, there was the famous quote coming out of uh, Rumsfeld, I think it was, who said that it was getting more violent in Iraq because it was in its last throes. Mm. And now we're well over a year beyond that, and we can see that these last throws supposedly are going on and on and on and mm-hmm. on, and the Iraqi people are not going to give up, mm-hmm. and they're not going to allow their country to remain occupied, no. and they're going to continue to fight, no, as no. anyone listening to this broadcast would do if there were a foreign, tyrannical, murderous, raping force on your soil doing the same thing to your brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, and children. You would fight back. Of course. Of course you would. Yeah. And just think about it for a second. Of course you would. They're going to be, obviously, we're saying they're going to be in Iraq for a long time because, I mean, well, just look at look at Korea. When was the Korean War? 1952, three. Yeah. There's tens of thousands of U.S. troops uh, currently stationed in South Korea uh, 50, over 50 years later. So... That'll just use that as a yardstick, uh, but I don't think uh, it'll, it will be as uh, as peaceful an occupation as it has been in South Korea. I just wanted to mention a fact about when we're talking about um, Israel. The current Israeli Prime Minister is Ehud Olmert. He succeeded Ariel Sharon earlier this year after Sharon had his heart attack, which was. Just, provoked just or to, not well just to satisfy our more conspiratorially minded listeners uh, it's it's very likely that he was taken out for one reason or another well it's likely it's possible let's say it's possible but that's not what I wanted to say I wanted to say that basically Ulmert who is his successor has some interesting skeletons in his closet 
Almert had a very close friend who he was so close that he was involved in a financial scandal with him, and you can't get much closer than that. Uh, in 1997, Olmert uh, uh, was in the Likud party, which was Sharon's party. He was treasurer, and uh, I think he was co-treasurer. There were two treasurers. Another guy called Menachem Atzmon, who was... Uh, both he and Olmert were the treasurers of the party, and they were involved in, in, scandal, in a scandal involved uh, to do with um, donations from America, uh, large sums of money coming from America that weren't announced, and they were funneling, funneling them to various different places. This is on record. This was in court. Uh, the guy Atzmon, his friend, was uh, was prosecuted. I don't think he served any time, but he he was he was indicted and and, and prosecuted. He probably got off with it somewhere or other. But Almert uh, Almert got got clean away. But the interesting thing about Atzmon is that he Atzmon with another guy. I don't have his name right here, but Atzmon is the um, the CEO or the owner of a company called International. Consultants on targeting security, or sorry, on targeted security, uh, abbreviated to ICTS. And ICTS was um, it, it's a it's a company that specialises in security consulting and uh, and personnel provision for uh, the aviation industry, and they have various subsidiaries. The aviation industry. Yes. Let me guess. Uh, th- this is a company that provides security personnel and uh, personnel uh, for for check-in uh, at airports and for uh, screening of passengers and everything basically to do with uh, ticketing um, at airports. They provide this as a, as, a, as an outsourced uh, uh, service for for airlines and airports. This company ICTS, uh, just just for the record, is on their website. Um, who owns it and who the who the the background of the company, the history, uh, and I quote, is headed by former Israeli military commanding officers and veterans of government intelligence and security agencies. And interestingly enough, this company in 1999 purchased an American company called Huntley International. And even more interestingly, Huntley International was uh, also a company that engaged in the same kind of services and it provided the security and the ticketing and the, the, the screening, the passenger screening and everything to do with, uh, with, with security and passengers for f- the flights on 9-11. Uh, three of the flights, actually. Isn't uh, that a small of the world? Yeah, that's very, very interesting. I just thought that was an amazing coincidence. But it's it's very interesting because it was only they handled they handled these services for uh, Newark and in Boston and Boston, but not Washington, not Dulles, Washington. Uh, only uh, for flight eleven, flight seventy, flight eleven, flight one seventy five, and flight ninety three. Flight uh, eleven and flight one seventy five crashed into the World Trade Center Center towers, and flight ninety three crashed in Pennsylvania or was shot down actually. Shot down in Pennsylvania, but they weren't involved in Flight Seventy Seven, which is very interesting. And we'll probably just leave it at that, and say that it's very interesting, um, for a very good reason. And read our book on nine eleven. Talk about that. Why. <laughs> <laughs> talk about that in our in our book on nine eleven. Mm. 
The rest of our discussion on looking back over the last year will continue in the next podcast. If you'd like to discuss what we've talked about this week, you're welcome to come to the Signs of the Times Forum. You can find a link to it on the Signs page. That's at www.signs-of-the-times.org. Thank you.